The OMTG Taps is brought to you by StarCityGames.com. Innistrad is coming soon, and StarCityGames.com is your source for boxes, cases, fat packs, intro packs, complete sets, and singles. Head on over to StarCityGames.com and pre-order Innistrad today. Everybody, welcome to episode 77 of YoMTG Taps. I'm looking at our website, and the last episode we recorded was episode 76, so it must be true. My name's Big Head Joe. I'm I would be riding solo today because Joey's taking some time off from, uh, you know, having the weekend talking about magic in uh, Boston for the SCG Open. But I'm joined by a very special guest. That would be the winner of the legacy portion of that open, Alex Bertoncini. Is that how you say it? <laughs> Bertoncini. Alex Bertoncini. Uh, how's it going, man? Oh, it's going great. Going good. Uh, in between tournaments now, some downtime. Which one are you going to next? You going to Pittsburgh this weekend? Yep, Grand Prix Pittsburgh. Sweet. Do standard. That sounds awesome. Um, I'm working on trying to find a couch there as. We speak, um, looking at the Facebook, desperately waiting for that little one to appear in parentheses. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so you went ahead and tore it up uh, in Legacy. Uh, did you, you? You didn't top thirty-two day one though, right? You didn't do no, anything. I, just, in I had standard. a pretty uh, pretty poor showing in standard. Oh well. <laughs> Where were you playing instead? Were you playing Callblade? Or? I played Callblade, and then the first two rounds I played against uh, a Birthing Pod decks. <laughs> like, lost round one, lost round two to Birthing Pod. I was like, oh boy. Yeah, that's the deck that, uh, that Travis has been messing with, is the Birthing Pod deck. Um, Not the easiest deck for Callblade to beat. Really? What, no. what, is, what makes it so hard? Um, basically, they, they, it's, a, it's, a, it's a combo deck, and it has a lot of come-to-play uh, come abilities. Like, they get a lot of value off their cards, and uh, you have very few answers to... A birthing pod, like even something like O-ring, doesn't permanently answer it because they can just get a slime, and uh, basically you have no way of interacting with their combo, and your deck's a little too slow to beat them before they get like you know Titan that quickly. <laughs> yeah, Elishnorn or Titan or Elishnorn's so brutal. Shieldred. <laughs> <laughs> it's like wow, these cards. Yeah, I guess with something like uh, something like birthing pod makes cards like that playable, you know. Yeah, it's just it's just the uh, the way the nature of that deck is just very difficult for any of the particular lines of Callblade to do. Like you equipping a, a hawk early or hitting with Colonnade or Gideon or any of those cards is just not good against them. So, yeah, um, people. I mean, Travis has been playing the deck, like I said, and uh, and what he said, he went he went and played somewhere I don't even remember where, at like an F and M or some sort of tournament, and came back and he was just like, Birthing Pod is Jace. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and like so, people have been saying that. So people have been saying that birthing pods like Jace. I forget who it was who said that um, like a couple weeks ago, but somebody said that it was like Jace in the right situations. Yeah, and real good. And he really and he felt like that when he was playing it. Um, but you know, let's not let's not talk about your woes. Let's talk about your successes here. Um, you went and uh, and drew in the finals with my buddy Kurt Spice, uh, the yeah, whitest kids. Awesome. Of the whitest kids you know, uh, one man member, and um, I guess they really. <laughs> I guess that's why they didn't. Uh, I guess that's why they didn't take the picture of the two of you together, because yeah. like it would have just blown out the image way too much, yeah, and they would have had to like, like two ghosts in the image. <laughs> <laughs> guys, yeah. So no, we always we always we always uh, you know kind of rip into Curdy uh, all the yeah. time around here, but uh, <laughs> he's pretty cool. I'm a, I'm a fan. He's he's a really good player. Plays real solid, and uh, he was playing good Magic the whole day. So. Yeah, no, he's a great guy. He's a real cool dude, uh, solid guy, solid bro uh, yeah, from sure. from from Brodemore. Um <laughs> and he and he's been uh, I mean he's been popping up. Him and him and Ben Friedman have been uh, popping up in a lot of top eights lately. I'd like to get True, yeah, both I mean, of them on the show at some point. Uh, they're both local guys. Um, ben Friedman's another another great player. I had uh, was talking with him quite a bit during the weekend as well. 
So. Yeah, my my first experience against Ben was, uh, I think when he was he was probably thirteen or fourteen, right? <laughs> uh, playing at like the local Sunday cash tournament, and yeah. uh, and he played Martyrus Sands against me, and it was the first time I'd ever seen that deck, and I was just like, really, man? Like you're gonna gain a hundred? I made him. I, I I didn't scoop. I made him. I made him win. <laughs> wow, Martyrus Sands, G. So yeah, so he had like a hundred life. I was like, okay, this guy's this guy's kind of good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of white cards for Mr. Spees. <laughs> it's just ridiculous, but um, I hated that deck. Anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> so you played No Rug, uh, which you've been playing a lot lately. Um, yeah, I, I tend to pick up, usually pick up a deck and try and grind it over and over again if it's uh, if it's good. You know, just it, you get better with the deck, like you put up better results. So in the beginning, I was like top sixteening a couple of legacy opens with Rug. You know, like you know, like a twelfth place finish here, thirteenth year, maybe top thirty-two, and then like eventually started breaking through, and like I got like a top four in Cincinnati with it, and then I ended up winning last weekend because just uh, the re- repetition of the deck, I was getting a lot more comfortable with opening hands, a lot better with individual card choices, which in Legacy with so many thousands and thousands of legal cards, your individual card choice is so much more important than other formats. Yeah, right, absolutely. Um, you know, you've moved away from Merfolk, and I know that you were. Uh... You were saying uh, at Baltimore that you were a little sad to be moving away from Merfolk. Yeah, I mean, again, I feel like Merfolk is like a, was too much of an uphill battle right now in Legacy. There's just too many problem cards in the sideboard and in the main decks, and just the way the format's shifting. Mental misstep really shook things up and slowed down the format. And I'm, Merfolk's still very popular at events, but it just keeps falling to some of the better players who are prepared for it. The cards like Grimlavamance are just so, like, ridiculous against Merfolk because the decks that play it, like uh, No Rug plays it, some in the main deck. Uh, there's some Stoneforge Mystic decks that Splash Red for it. Zeus still plays it. There's just like three or four decks in the format. Mono Red, they all main deck Grim Lava Mancer. And it's just like from right from turn one there, these decks also pack Mental Misstep. So you can't really re- say that, oh, Merfolk is Mental Misstep. Like you can just counter it where, you know, like these other decks are fighting back too. They can force through a... A lava mancer or a zoo deck can just go bait you with a turn one wild in the coddle and they can still then resolve it on turn two if you counter it. Right. So that that's probably the biggest one. Just the um, the popularity of main deck room lava mancers all over the place is is probably reason number one. Um, another reason is uh, of course batter skull stoneforge mystic and batter skull. Um, you really need to overload the board with a lot of merfolk to beat to beat through a batter skull. Or play some janky cards like Reality Ripple, which phases out the Batter Skull, or something like um, Tower of the Magistrate, which makes it so your opponent can't really equip a Batter Skull or the germ falls off. There's a bunch of these very narrow cards to deal with a dumb artifact. Right, even, uh, I mean, you've even seen uh, Manriki Gusari popping up yeah. every once it's, in a while. Yeah, crazy cards like that. And those aren't the cards that a deck like Merfolk can really support because it doesn't have Brainstorm, doesn't have tutors it doesn't have any real way of drawing cards it has to kind of like raw dog all of its its spells it has to like just draw them right no, i know I'm can't just reliably <laughs> hope to draw your reality ripple when they draw their stoneforge mystic batter skull like you just it's that's not how legacy works right or you know you'll have your tower of the magistrate and then it'll get wastelanded and then they'll play their batter skull again so it's just, right yeah it's, it's, a, it's a, a really tough card to fight through correct yeah and then uh, the la- another note from Merfolk would be the popularity of Jace the Mind Sculptor just makes everybody sideboard red elemental blasts or splash red just to board them. And any cult deck that has access to red just has four or more red elemental blasts on the board. Right. And that's just <laughs> not the card Merfolk wants to see after board. Just infinite blasts everywhere. <laughs> Definitely not. It's kind of awful. Yeah, um, the for Hive Mind and Jace is just, just so happens so basically what I would say is I, I would, I'm putting down Merfolk for now, but maybe in the future it'll be worth picking up again. When people are – maybe when the format changes a little bit again, people are maybe a little yeah. less prepared for it. Yeah, basically the format needs to slow down by a full turn be, uh, to, to speed up. I'm sorry, to speed up by a full turn because it's it's been slowed down with the introduction of Mental Misstep. Definitely. Um so, so you're playing No Rug, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, the list that you played at um, – at Boston, uh, where did you pick that list up from? Is that I mean that's the same list you've been playing, or you make some changes for this particular event? 
So the history of how I uh, was playing it was I, 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 the first, the last Boston Open, I played against Reed Duke, who had just, uh, who just uh, started innovating with that deck. And I, I played against it with Merfolk, and it was just really hard to beat, and I narrowly beat him in the top eight. And um, I just was like, wow, this deck is really interesting. And I wasn't quite ready to put Merfolk down yet, but I was like sensing that Stoneforge Mystic was going to see more of a presence, and Mental Misstep had, was going to really shake up the, um, slow, to slow things down. So I figured that I'd probably be shifting away from Merfolk soon. So I said, well, if this deck gets popular, or if this deck posts any good results, I'll probably try picking it up. So then, sure enough, he top eight of the Grand Prix with it, uh, Grand Prix Providence. Yeah. So I said, wow, okay, so maybe this deck is the real deal. And um, so I basically was uh, testing a little bit, brought it to uh, an open, did a couple changes. Like, I didn't like Chain Lightning, so I changed that to... Uh, I think I changed that... To, I, I forgot what I changed it to, but basically I, I piloted his almost exact list at the uh, the Invitational Weekend Legacy Tournament. Sure. And from there, um, I, I made a couple changes. So I didn't like Ponder, because I kept boarding it out. So I added Sylvan Library as a one-of to replace it, because I, I felt Sylvan Library was the kind of card that the deck kind of really wanted. It was like the first card that came to mind when I thought of green card advantage in Legacy. Then I realized that I need, if I was cutting ponders, I needed more blue cards. So we were looking at towards Fire Ice, which was already a card that people were probably playing one of or something like that in the deck. And I figured, well, I'm going to probably cut down on Lightning Bolts because they're, mental mis- they're not mental misstep proof. And like two mana is almost better than one in this format now. So especially with a card like Lightning Bolt, like if you Lightning Bolt a Stoneforge Mystic and they have a mental misstep, you just get blown out. Whereas the, so the Fire Ice takes up your turn uses up your mana, but you're guaranteed to usually kill the Mystic. Right. So you really, you know, turn off that whole line of play there. And the one extra mana investment plus the versatility is so is so useful. So basically, I added Fire Ice, extra copies of Fire Ice, up to three, to add as the blue card count towards Force of Will and just be general good utility. And from there, I didn't look back. From there, the, that list, the, those cards are just generally very good. Uh, the Sylvan Libraries and the extra fire races were the main changes to the original no rug deck posted by Reed. Okay, so so he had he had Vendillion clicks and uh did he did was he running the Lava Mancer or is that something yeah, you had? He I think he had two Lava Mancers. I don't quote me on that, but I'm I he did have multiple Grim Lava Mancers as um as I want as I liked the results from the Grim Lava Mancer from the fire races, I was cutting down on Grim Lava Mancer down to one in the main deck. Yeah, and I just have a couple extras on the board for um, being for matchups on the play, like mirror match, the mirror match, and against Stoneforge Mystic and Merfolk decks. And I usually bring the Grim Lava Mancers in on the play, whereas on the draw they're just inferior to other Lava Mancers and other spells. Um, and basically the, the deck's all star has been Fire Ice. It's just been it's real sweet. I think the card's just really well positioned in this form right now, along with Sylvan Library. I see. I see. You have an Edric Spymaster of Trest in the sideboard. Uh, that's a pretty interesting choice. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, it's been changing every week. For a while, it was Thrun the Last Troll, and he was pretty good. But I wanted to try something else, so I tried Terastid on that a couple weeks ago, and it was good. Um, and then I didn't really like the Terastid on, so I decided to try out Edric. And um, he wasn't really that good, unfortunately. He, no. um, I boarded him in a few times. I never drew him, and I never wanted to green Sun Zenith for him. So, what about uh, speaking of new green creatures from the commander decks that you could uh, green Sun Zenith for? Um, have you tried or tested the scavenging ooze? I uh, saw that in one or two lists uh, over the last like week or two. I did. I spoke with the, the guy who uh, won the Gen Con, the Legacy cha- open, the Legacy Champs or whatever. Yeah. With uh, scavenging news, and you know, after seeing it on camera, it was pretty sweet. Um, I asked him how it was. He was like MVP for him. And uh, I was talking with Jonathan Sukenik, who is also one of the uh, the front runners of the No Rug deck. He's been doing. He's been posting some top eight results with a similar list that we were discussing. And he said the scavenging news. He he hasn't tried it yet, but he thinks it, it's probably its potential. So um, I'm pretty sure for the next event, I'm going to have a scavenging ooze either in the main deck or in the sideboard, replacing the Edric. So it's basically like a work in progress. It went from Trigon Predators to Thrun to Terastodon to Edric and now to scavenging ooze. So it's just trying to find that one extra card. 
and it's not something you really test for. You have to really try it out in the field. Like when you're playing for you know money, you have to actually like test it in a tournament. You know, you can't just like uh, test among your friends and be like, oh, this card's good here because Legacy is such a diverse format. You really have to test against the gauntlet. Right. I mean, I think that's one of the cool things though about playing a deck with four natural orders and three green sun zeniths is that you could put a different card in that slot every week for the rest of your life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and like. It, just try a different card every week. Um, almost could be a fun game. <laughs> it's like, which card do we add today? Oh, we'll add Pike Knight or something. Autumn Willow. <laughs> <laughs> Autumn Willow. Um, oh, damn. Elder Druid. There you go. <laughs> Elder Druid. <laughs> love Elder Druid. I used to love that card. When I was like tw- 12 <laughs> or something. Whatever the hell that I was playing that card. Like- there's probably some other crazy cards out there that are like real worth trying a slot, like maybe a Birds of Paradise or a Pygmy Hippo, um, anything weird, Coiling Oracle. There's always a lot of interesting Green Suns targets out there, so who knows what they'll be, what will be made for it. One of my pet cards from when Kamigawa was around, Patagia Viper. I loved that card. Oh, that guy's- yeah, <laughs> I love that damn so, card. Uh, if you sniff for him, does he keep the? Does he stay in play? Uh, I think if you have to pay blue, but like, like if you when he comes to play or when you cast him. Oh, oh, oh! That's a good point. No, I think you still get the tokens even if you. Uh... Well, yeah, I know you get the tokens. I was just wondering if he if he's like if he dies or if if you put him into play directly. Oh, let's see. Good question. I'll look him up right now. <laughs> that card is real when he com- when he comes into play. Put two one one green and blue snake creature tokens into play, and you have to sacrifice it unless you pay a blue. And it's a two one flying snake for a green and three. <laughs> green is in for four. I think we can do better than that. <laughs> True. <laughs> I agree, but still, it's just a cool card. <laughs> yeah. Card I like. Not 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 necessarily a good card, but one of those like one of those cards that makes me nostalgic. You know. Um, so why this deck, like why this deck over something like hive mind or, or, uh, or like the stone forge, dif- the different stone forge lists, why would you choose this deck? I mean, it looks like you're not, you're not alone. You know, it looks like there are a lot of people right now. Uh, one, two, three, four of the top eight decks and five, six of the top 16 decks were no rug. So, so oh, yeah. why, why is this deck? Um, so well positioned right now, and and why this deck over something like Reanimator or or you know any number of other decks that uh, have been showing up in a bunch of top eights? Well, basically, you have to at this point because of Mental Misstep, the format again, I guess it was saying was has been slowed by roughly one and a half or two turns, meaning that because key one drops are being countered, decks just have a longer time to to assemble their combos. And to get to get going, so decks like Stoneforge Mystic won't get overrun by goblins because goblins does can't really survive. Goblins and Murfolk can't really survive as well in a format that's slower, right? And with more controlly cards. So No Rug is a combo deck that plays Force of Wills to back through its combo, and also has other angles of attacking, such as things like Vendillion Click and Tarmogoyf to just get your opponent that way or Jace the Mind Sculptor. So it's I hear that card's good. Yeah, it's almost like a Callblade deck in Standard. It's like Callblade has multiple ways of killing you. It can equip a Hawk with a sword and kill you that way, and if you deal with that threat, it can kill you with a Celestial Colony to finish you off. Like, or there's, or it could just kill you with a Gideon, or it can do, you know, all sorts of things. So the same with this deck. You could usually just te- put the ten ten into play against most decks, but if that goes wrong, you could just beat them down with Tarmogoyfs and Vendillion Clicks. And basically, it's a combo deck that plays a bunch of other cards, and where its combo pieces serve multi-purposes. So Tarmogoyf is an enabler and a win condition. And right. Force of Will is a enabler, you know, it enables your combo to get forced through or it could stop your opponent's combo. So it's just the multi-purposes of all these cards, whereas a deck like Hive Mind, a Grim Monolith is a Grim Monolith and that's all it'll do. It'll only ramp you into a Hive Mind hard cast. And if that gets countered, you just had your Grim Monolith do nothing and your Hive Mind do nothing. And now you're stuck with a bunch of useless packs. So, right. um, I feel like it's a, just a better combo deck than Hive Mind, and um, another deck that's pretty good is Reanimator. Um, that, another deck I would recommend. Another combo deck with Force of Will in it. 
And you're going to see that these decks are much more popular than combo decks without forcible, like Elf Combo or um, Ad Nauseam Tendrils, because they don't. Thoughtseize is not a way to is a force your combo through. Mm-hmm. Forcibles is the better is the better way to do so. Right. So yeah. basically, the reason why No Rug is so good is because I feel like it's it just has the best uh, pieces to win. Uh, games differently. So if a Progenitus isn't going to win you a game, maybe Tarmogoyce will. If, a, if Jace won't win you the game, maybe um, Progenitus will. So you can always choose your line of play differently with the deck. And there's a lot of shuffle effects, there's a lot of synergy with the cards, and just overall powerful cards. Vendillion Click, Tarmogoyce, and Sylvan Library are just hugely powerful cards, and the card quality is, is really up there. Um, I feel like Ancestral Visions is worse than Sylvan Library. Because you just draw three immediately off the library, and you don't have to worry about like you know getting into a war over it later. You don't have to worry about spell stutter sprite or red elemental blast. All you're worrying about is <laughs> if, if your sylvan library resolves, you're pretty much there, you know. Right, and it just sticks. And then they have to, that's something else they have to deal with. It just seems like, yeah, that does seem like there are just a lot of different things to deal with. Of course, yeah. I did. I played against this. I played against this reanimator deck. Joey has it built, and I played against it, and man. <laughs> It just, I'm like, really? Imperial Archangel? Are you kidding? I was like, oh my yeah. god, really? Like, I had him dead on board, pretty much. Um, I think he had, like, one card in hand and just, like, rips the, the whatever, I think it was an Animate Dead or something. Yeah. Just ripped it. Dropped the Imperial Archangel. And, and I was that's like, that. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty that's much exact, how it goes. That's exactly what happened to me in the Swiss. The, the guy, my, loss, my loss in the turn was to um, reanimate around two, the guy who eventually top-aided. And we were just playing a really grindy game with counter spells, and I played a Tarmogoyf, and I hit him like three or four times with it. And he was just at like three life, about to die, and then he ripped an Exhum, and Exhumed his Jingataxius, drew seven. Yeah. Then I, had to, then I attacked and made him chump block with his Jingataxius, and then he finally got to animate dead a uh, Shieldred and just ended the game with that. God, so brutal. Just crazy some of, some of this stuff that's been popping up lately. Yeah, for sure. How do you feel um, about the legacy uh, format right now? Because I know some people are, um, I don't know, some people are a little, feel like it's a little stale, feel like maybe Mental Misstep is hurting the format. Um, do you like the format right now as it stands? Or uh, do you wish something was done maybe to make it a little quicker? Or or is everything just good how it is and Legacy's Legacy and everything's fair game? I mean, like the, what the the beauty about Legacy is that it, despite it being an eternal format where nothing rotates, it's always changing. Every weekend, there's new trends, new decks, mm-hmm. new uh, archetypes. There's just it's it's always changing, despite the fact that it, you're playing with the same cards all the time. So, I feel like regardless of whether the format's how I like it right now or not, it's just healthy for it to keep changing. Like right now, I'm seeing a less popularity of the card Wasteland, whereas a couple months ago, you couldn't find a deck in the top eight without Wasteland in it, you know? Yeah. There's Wastelands because people are realizing, like, because of the popularity of Noble Hierarch and cards like Sylvan Library, it's just less... It's harder to just get your opponent on lands, like, you know, just get you with Wasteland like it used to be. And that's another thing. Merfolk used to be able to just get you with Wasteland. They would daze a spell, Wasteland you, and you'd be out of the game to a Silver Galadic. And you'd be too far behind. But now people just have Noble Hierarch, and they can make up for any lost tempo from Wasteland or um, things like that, of that nature. So the decline in popularity of Wasteland might sprout up other decks that weren't able to fight through it before. So um, because people can't as reliably just off your opponent's lands, you might see slower control decks or four color decks or things like that that are that can just plow right through um waste that they couldn't plow through wasteland before but now can because of the decline in popularity of it right um you know, and, I, that, and that's and that's really interesting spells, more four or five mana spells who knows so what do you think about modern right now i mean obviously modern's a very popular topic um how do you think it stacks up against legacy well i mean I think that it's pretty open right now. I mean, everyone's really excited about it. Professionals, casual players, everyone's excited because it's a new format. And to be fair, the the last extended, you know, the you know the over, super standard as it was called or whatever. Stone like, for, Stoneforge extended. Yeah, Stoneforge extended. That format was just miserable. Like it was. Uh, 
I mean, there were some people who enjoyed it, but it was just going to be Stone Fortress and Jace battles and like just it was going to be miserable. So this format just like is a breath of fresh air. Not many people have time to prepare for it or many times not much time to brew or test or, have, you know, knowledgeable about it. But that's kind of the fun of it. You know, that's why sometimes pro tours are scheduled right next to release events to see how good the pros can tackle it on short notice. So here they're introducing this format out of the blue. And, uh, you know, I'm sure they could have announced earlier that they were going to change the, the Pro Tour format. I'm sure it wasn't like that night they decided. I'm sure for maybe a month earlier they could have decided. But maybe they just were like slow rolling it to try and see what kind of spur of the moment decks come up with a new format. Oh, yeah. Well, see, I, mean, I don't know if I ever said it publicly on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But I've been saying for months and months, or I've been saying since the Community Cup when they sh- when they had debuted Modern, yeah. I've been saying, well, they're going to spring it on everybody for the Pro Tour, and they're going to change the Pro Tour. Like, I don't know if, like, I can't remember if I said that on the podcast, but I definitely said that among my friends, <laughs> because that's what they did last year. They changed the extended format. They changed yeah. it from a seven-year format to a four-year format, almost at the exact same amount of time before the Pro Tour. And I figured that if they were going to change the format, like, if they were going to change formats they were going to do it like pretty much around the same schedule exactly and you know they don't they don't want, really want there to be an established deck like i feel if they announced it maybe two months ago there might have been something that was overlooked and there might have been become an a deck that's too established or overpowered so i feel like for the pro tour they just want to be more open and then from there go with more bannings or less bannings or something like that right and i think that right now like i like we've we've discussed the the bannings uh quite a bit um, oh, and I think maybe the, la- the last episode, um, and Joey, I know when they, when they were first announced was pissed, yeah. um, sure. but then, yeah. but then he looked at it. He was like, yeah, I see what they're trying to do here. And they can always make the, the, they can always shrink the list, you know, like they've been yeah. doing with vintage over the last couple of years. Well, yeah. um, They'd rather overban and not risk the chance of something being overpowered than underban. And like everyone plays ancestral visions, mental decks. Like, right. Which, if I were playing modern, uh, I would have pretty much been playing all those cards. <laughs> you know, like I don't understand why mental misstep is banned, and it just baffles me that it's like probably the most powerful card on the list that's banned. It you can't put zero mana counter spells in that format. Then you're going to turn into legacy. Right. It's just such the universal like every deck's going to be using a one-drop in some way or another, and it just hoses aggro decks. And again, <laughs> look at what happened to Legacy. You introduce that one card, and all these decks that are key with key one-drops are just slowed down. Even if they play Mental Misstep, like Merfolk plays Mental Misstep, it's just, <laughs> that's, not, that's not a reason why you can't, it doesn't speed up your deck. It just slows everything down, and then you have a lot of, you'll probably just have a lot of control matches, and not as much aggro would be viable. So I feel like they're trying to push that, and I mean, probably the only card that's debatable that they should have probably been maybe Punishing Fire. Yeah, I agree. Um, it seems pretty brutal. And, and uh, are the um, are some of the Pyromancer lists running the Punishing Fire combo? I'm guessing they are. Yes, they are. I don't feel that's a very powerful strategy for them to employ. But, I mean, who knows? I, 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 have, a, I have a good feeling that for the Pro Tour there will be a lot less Punishing Fire than thought up of. Like, like, I don't think it's just going to be a big, a big mess of Punishing Fire. I think there's going to be a lot of other decks that, you know, I remember Punishing Fire is very, very um, central against, like, it's very, very good against creature decks, of course, but, like, against combo decks, it's virtually just <laughs> three mana deal of damage. <laughs> right. Like, um, I uh, like people will just be so prepared for Punishing Fire because it's a pro tour that there will be very little Punishing Fire at the end of the day when people are like, wow, this card... This combination is terrible against these sort of decks. But I feel like Punishing Fire right now is doing enough job of stifling certain archetypes, like decks that aren't Zoo, decks with creatures that aren't Three Toughness, decks with Noble Hierarch and um, Dryad Arbor. Those decks are going to suffer because of the suspected number of Punishing Fire. Even, like, I was working on a modern Merfolk deck because all the good cards from Merfolk are illegal for, you know, beside the three counter spells. Right. All those cards are legal, and I'm just looking at Punishing Fire, and that card is just... Even with Kira's, that card's just way too hard to deal with. So, hmm. as of right now, it's doing a good job of stop of stifling the growth, I think. But we'll see what happens, I'm sure. If there's good decks to be out there, people will come up with them. There's a lot of talented deck builders out there. So, so obviously, with them creating a new format, 
they have to announce a band list when they create it, you know, like outside of the typical, like every three month announcements, um, given some of the cards that are on this list, do you think that some, like maybe one of the, you know, do you think it might be an omen for legacy? Do you think something from that list that has been, you know, popular in legacy, like let's say mental misstep, do you think that that's a sign that maybe they'll go and ban something like mental misstep in legacy when they make their next announcement? Cause obviously it's not a pressing thing, yeah. you know, but it, like when yes. I looked at that, I was like, Hmm, Jace mental misstep. I mean, obviously these are all the, like, some of the strongest cards in Legacy. Yeah. So they're going to be banned in Modern to establish it as a separate format. But do you think maybe they take one of those cards and put it on Legacy's banned list come September? I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, that's a pretty interesting thing. Like, maybe they're just testing it out. Um, I feel that Mental Misstep is probably the only card on that list anywhere remotely near banworthy in Legacy. I, I agree. Um, however, I, I don't feel like there was been, there's been enough time given to Mental Misstep in Legacy yet. Um, the, this last weekend in Boston, there were 51 copies of Mental Misstep in the top 16, and there were 49 copies of Force of Will. Yeah. So more Mental Missteps than Force of Will, which isn't surprising at all. But A bit uh, telling. Yeah, uh, but again, like the, the card is – it's weird because there hasn't been a card printed like it in a while that's shaken it up so much. Like – the last car that shook up Legacy so much was something like Tarmogoyf. It wasn't even like Jace. It was just Tarmogoyf. It was like the last car that shook it up so much. Like, there's a lot of like key cards that are, you know, are really good in the format, like cards like that were printed like Ad Nauseam, cards printed like Jace. But like nothing's those aren't even on the same level of mental misstep being printed. Like that card is just so crazy in that format that I don't think they could ban it anytime soon i think it would be another at least another year before they gave it consideration and it might not even deserve to be banned i mean who knows it's just like with jason stoneforge mystic and standard they gave it some time to print some cards to try and hose them cards like frexian revoker or um you know cards like that to try and stop those cards and those didn't work so eventually they had to ban it so i feel like maybe if they make more powerful two drops or three drops or cards that are just better than mental misstep or like one drop that can't be countered i don't know um cards that are mental misstep proof if that doesn't work and mental misstep still is too good or too controlling or too bad for the format then they might consider banning it but as of right now i think where where it's going i feel like modern and legacy are two solely separate entities sure and and i'm I'm in the same boat with you with legacy i like i like seeing i mean i'm i'm a you know pretty much a a new convert to the format you know um but i like to see the way things ebb and flow, you know, like certain decks rise to the top on a particular week and other decks, you know, other decks win other weeks, you know, and there's no one deck that really has been dominating. Now, obviously there are certain cards that have been present in most of the decks that are, that are placing, you know, but I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Like with me, like, like I hated Stoneforge Mystic and Standard. I thought it was an unfair card that negated so many strategies mm-hmm. that I just I didn't find Standard fun at all, and it was largely due to that card. I didn't think Jace should have been banned. I figured they would, but I didn't think it should have been. Yeah, you know. But That's Stoneforge true. Mystic just to me was like, oh hey, nice mono green deck. Search up Sword of Feast and Famine. <laughs> you know, like like which is which is fine. I mean, I wasn't playing a mono green deck or anything. But like I'm a tournament organizer, you know what I mean? Like yeah, no, I have sure. to I have to keep people excited to come to my store yeah. and to play cards. And I felt like that card was just negating so many casual decks. Yeah, and you could that, see the, the tournament attendance was down all over the place with in right. standard format with that. So I felt like that. But then it was funny because like after I had gone off about how I thought Stoneforge Mystics should be banned, um, my friend Noyan sends me a message on on Twitter. He's like, hey, guess what card is dominating Legacy this weekend? Stoneforge Mystic. And I just wrote back, yeah, so fair's fair. It's Legacy. Stoneforge Mystic will dominate on certain weekends. It's a good card. But there are lots of good cards in Legacy. You know, like... True, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I just... It always just feels like, oh, fair game, you know, like yeah. <laughs> totally different beast altogether. It's like, yeah, so what? It's Stoneforge Mystic. It's really good. Of course people are going to play it. But so what? It's not... You know, this, it's Stoneforge Mystic's weekend. Give it its weekend. Let it have fun. <laughs> yeah, well, Legacy's you know? so tre- – like, it just trends. Every weekend there's a new trend. There's a new um, a new top dog. Like, there's some, like this week Stoneforge Mystic was very, very good. 
Um, you know, next weekend, something else might be really good. Like wild Nakato might be really good next weekend. Like who knows? It's, it's, it's regional, like, you know, regional metagames are also very different from, you know, traveling so much and, you know, going to so many different events in all different places in the United States. I can tell you there's a lot of different regional differences. Like in Boston, there's a lot less zoo, like a lot. So it's, it's not even a bad place to play Merfolk because there's less zoo and a little bit less dredge. Whereas in like California, there's a, a lot of dredge and a lot of, hmm. a lot of combo decks. Yeah, that was one of the most fascinating things that I learned doing the uh, SCG Live yeah. um, was about regional metagames. I just it never really occurred to me, you know, because exactly. um, I just pretty much stay in my little bubble, you know, and oh, sure. I don't really travel out that much, um, at least not to play in tournaments, you know. And, like, when I was in Texas and just saw everyone packing their hydroblasts <laughs> in their sideboards, I was like, what's going on? Like, it's like, we're in Texas. There's a lot of red decks. I'm yeah, like, for sure, for really? Sure. Because we're in Texas? Like, I was like, that's, that's fascinating. Like, that was just one of the most interesting things that I learned yeah, uh, during that entire experience was about regional metagames. Real quick before we get into, like, kind of what I feel is the main topic of this episode, um... Mm-hmm. I want to just briefly talk to you about standard because we've talked about every other damn format, right? (laughs) So we might as well touch on standard real quick. Um, I don't want, I don't want to ask you any questions about what you're going to be playing at the pro tour. Um, I don't even care if our audience would rather be surprised. I'd rather be surprised. I'd rather, I'd rather find (laughs) out on the coverage. So, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll just leave that to the imagination. Um, I will ask you, though, um, are you happy with the testing you've been doing? Have you settled on something? For what, the Pro Tour? Or for the, for the Pro Tour. Um, I haven't been doing much testing yet, to be honest. I've tested, done a lot of drafting, and I feel pretty confident with my uh, M12 drafting. Yeah. But as for Modern, um, still up in the air right now. I'm still waiting for something more established to come along before I start brewing. Uh, I don't really want to test into a blank field yet. I feel like the longer I wait, the uh, better chance I have of getting a grasp of it because I won't be testing against the wrong things. You you always want to practice against the right things. You don't want to like you don't want to taint your result your testing results against decks that won't be there. Right. That so makes a lot of sense. Wait, so as of right now it's totally new. People are just totally just brainstorming. And I'm waiting for the brainstorming to die down a little before and the decks just start becoming established. Like, this is a deck people will play. This is a deck this team is playing. This is the the uh the expected percentage of the field. And um as soon as that happens, that's when I'll start really testing or pick up a deck and sling some games and start talking with a lot of people. But until then, I'm just waiting for that to happen. I don't want to be testing against these these little fledgling decks that might not even show up. Right, and you don't want to – I mean, especially with, like, the Grand Prix coming up this weekend, yeah. you don't really want to be wasting your time. Yeah, it's almost uh, like even te- more at this point. Right, even testing a deck that you're not going to play. Like, that's just wasted time if, like, it's just not legit, yeah. you know? Like, And you could also screw up your results, screw up your, like, oh, man, if I see I lose, like, six times this deck and it's not even going to show up there, maybe it'll just – it'll take away from a deck that I would normally play and normally do well with just because <laughs> I've had some skewed testing results. Right, right, right. You just you, you've been playing against like it's like when you wind up playing against your roommates almost exclusively for like three weeks. By the end of that third week, like your sideboard is like fifteen cards against two people. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, exactly. no, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's cool. So yeah, waiting is is good. That seems that seems like a good strategy. Um, and again, I'm not. I don't want to get too much more into modern. I I'm I'm, I'm more, you know excited to see what the pros do yeah, you know likewise, likewise so that's great well you better not you better not get too excited because you get you're one of those pros too and you got to be able to settle down and buckle down and win so <laughs> <laughs> fair enough <laughs> but uh so let's move on just just briefly want to touch on standard um uh obviously there were some bannings that happened uh july 1st i believe was when they uh, actually took Action. effect yeah. um and how do you feel the the meta like how do you feel the metagame feels do you feel the bannings were necessary first of all and second of all like do you think that like um do you think that anything's changed do you think that it's a bad thing that they did the bannings like look like at this point like i know the perception is Callblade's still doing its thing yeah um i feel that um the bannings were were good uh, Stoneforge Mystic definitely had to go. You won't find 30 people that thinks that that card had to stay. 
Right. Um, but, you know, Jason the Mind Sculptor was also fine to leave. I mean, they would. I think it would have been okay to keep him, but I feel like just at the same token, people were like, well, he's only going to be in around for a few more months. Just keep him or whatever. But by the same count, it's like, okay, well, it's only going to be a few more months. Just shorten it. Just end it right now. Like, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like – like the banning wasn't even that huge because it was so short before the set rotates. So um, it's basically just like a miniature new format. Like they – like. Banning those cards totally changed the format. It's almost like a new format altogether. Just with the, some of the same decks, but a lot of like cards can exist because those cards don't exist uh, because those cards aren't around. So uh, cards like uh, Mirror and Crusader can get better. Right. Cards like uh, Phantasmal Image can get he- played. Hero of Bladehold. Hero of Bladehold. Yeah, all these cards that never passed the Jace test right. can all get played just for a few months. But you know, um, you know the ones that are in Zendikar, of course. But um, the ones that are relevant now, we get to really see what, what the taste of it would have been like without those cards. So, I mean, I, I'm okay with the bannings. Uh, I mean, if they thought that that would just axe Callblade altogether, they were totally wrong. Because, I mean, <laughs> the best card in the Callblade decks, besides, you know, those two cards, was just sort of Feast of Famine. Right. That's just really unfair. And like the way the format is right now, the card's still really powerful. Cards like Celestial Colony, like, I think that card was a big mistake. Celestial Colony, like, th- all the abilities on it. Exactly yeah. how it works. Like, it's a tundra that kills you. And people don't understand. Like, people think man lands are these, like, things like, okay, well, you know, it fixes your mana, and it, then it kills your opponent. It's, like, <laughs> like tundra's very good, and hollowed fountain's very good, but they don't pick up a sword and kill your opponent. Like, and I feel like with Tech Edge leaving, like, thank goodness the man lands are going too, but I feel like the biggest problems with the call by deck were, like, being good were just, like, they had just so much threat redundancy. Like, oh, you killed all my permanents. Oh, I'm drawing off the top of my deck. Oh, but my lands are killing you. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. Like, uh, what do I do? You have to kill their lands. You have to kill their creatures. You have to kill their artifacts. You have to kill, get rid of all the cards in their hand. They have, like, Squadron Hawk, which is, like, a re- ancestral recall, practically. So Where's Obliterate when you need it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was, um, they were, when they were testing standard, they were predicting destructive forces be a lot more, uh, see a lot more play. I remember discussing this in Seattle with some, with a few members of, uh, R and D that they were saying that they were testing destructive force and all the Valakut decks they were testing had destructive force in it. And that led to a totally different format where then the linear, the the very, very fast and like perfected Valakut decks that exist right now, those weren't in the testing. So as a result, because of that, a lot of decks that like Vengevine decks, yeah, there were a lot less Vengevine decks, and Vengevine is a great card at keeping at uh, keeping Jason check, but just those decks generally lose to Valakut. So Valakut did a great job of keeping the Iron Hammer on all these cute decks, and then Jace just cleaned up the rest of the work. So between Jace and Primeval Titan, um, the format was just too hostile to mo- to most other archetypes. For sure, um, you know, I mean. The thing that I've said on the, on the that I said on the podcast is, you know, as much as I wanted Stoneforge Mystic banned, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't necessarily to make Callblade go away. You know, it was yeah. like blue white control is obviously the strongest archetype in standard. You know, and, like and historically in Magic for the most part, <laughs> right? And with or without. Jason Stoneforge. So to you know, to not expect to see Callblade anymore when they ban those cards is a pretty short sighted view. Um but I feel like getting rid of those cards made the deck a little more fair, you know? Oh, yeah. And this deck's and, very fair and beatable for sure right now. It's just um it just still feels like a grief for deck. Like nobody likes playing against Squadron Hawk. Nobody likes playing against these like <laughs> just good players with Gideons and swords. It's just, like, hard to... Like, nobody wants to play against it. And unfortunately, I mean, like, again, they're not reprinting Squadron Hawk. That card will never see the light of day ever again. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I don't, like... The equipments are obviously will push it over the top this time, but I don't think, like, you know... It, it's so weird how a card like that... People talk about power creep all the time. Meanwhile, if people years ago saw us playing Squadron Hawks in there, they'd laugh at us. Like, what are you playing that thing for? <laughs> Four of that in your deck? Like... <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to, to actual things. Um, so I just kind of wanted to get your opinion on, you know, just briefly on standard. But um, the main thing I wanted, really wanted to talk to you about today um, is 
it kind of based on a conversation uh, you and I had a couple months ago when you were staying mm-hmm. over here for SCG Baltimore. Yeah. Um, you know, you were at that point, like you were feeling really burnt out with the whole grind and you were really feeling like, like maybe it wasn't worth the effort mm-hmm. and the time you were putting in, you know, I mean, you were, you were, you were hitting, you had hit like a bit of a slump, I mean, a slump for you, you know, like, <laughs> sure, sure. You, you know, like people look at, you know, look at your results from that time and be like, that's a slump. I hate you. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but you know, what they don't understand is like, you know, you're not just waking up at your house and driving down to the event, you know, like I did that morning, you yeah. know, like, um, <laughs> you're coming quite. into town, you're figuring out how to, where to go, where to stay. Um, and you know, there's actually an art, there's a, a an article series that just started on SCG, um, mm-hmm. that kind of touches on this subject. Um, but I thought it would be cool to get a perspective of it from, you know, I'd say one of the most famous grinders in the game right now, you know? Well, yeah. Um, so basically I was like on a slump because, you know, I'd been planning this whole year. I, you know, I took off a of school and I don't have a job and I was basically planning on grinding the whole year with two buys at every star city opens event. Like there were so many events and all that stuff. And I'd gone on a kind of a downswing like halfway through the year and they took away the buys halfway through, like out of nowhere, like out of the blue. It's pretty ridiculous. Um, as and of I the think, open, right? It was as of the Invitational, yeah, I mean. As the Invitational, just the morning of, I was like at the player meeting, and then they were like, oh, by the way, guys, uh, no more buys. So I was like, okay, well, that sucks. So it was pretty much like that, that whole thing. And like those buys were like invaluable. Like they were just, they were way overpowered, and they needed to get rid of the force, but it was still just like a wake up slap, you know? And I was just on the downswing from there, and I would, you know, I had missed a lot of win-ins. I think around the time I'd come to see you, like, I'd miss playing for like top eight of a, of a Grand Prix Kansas City. I'd miss playing for like top eight both days in Baltimore. I lost my winning in for top eight. Um, I was just like you know on like a, what I would consider a bad run because it's you're getting so close and just like I can never go O two drop. And even in an open, if I go two two and it's a ten round tournament, I have to still play the next six rounds to try and save my rating and to try and get the extra two open points at the end and fifty bucks like what all that stuff like. <laughs> It's like most people just go two two drop, go home and sleep. Whereas I have to grind every single round of magic I could possibly play, you know. Then find out how I'm getting back to where I was sleeping randomly, and then I have to find out the transportation for everything. It's just like then I have to can say get over it and you know keep my mindset good for the next event, which is coming up. And I can't let the uh, the mental the mental part of it get to my game. So it's basically it was hard for me to separate the um, the stress from the actual gameplay, and I was. Just worried that my that the stress of the whole grinding would uh, affect my gameplay or like you know make me play worse or suboptimally. Right, um, and, and, and you know so that was that was affecting you. And I, I, did you go? Did you take a week off, or did did you ever take a week off? <laughs> I guess it's a um, question. I was considering taking a week off for uh, Grand Prix Dallas or whatever at the time. I yeah. was like, I was considering taking a week off for that event because uh, it was a Grand Prix and it was like in Texas. And I was already home, so I had to get back on the road to go just to go to Texas, then come back home. Right. And I was like, all right, well, I mean, it's a U.S. Grand Prix. I don't know how many. Uh, I don't know how many Grand Prix I can attend with all these Star City Games things going on. So I'm just going to go to it. And then I like top eighted it. So I was like, oh no, now I now I really can't take a break. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, I literally, you know, just every week I have to be playing an event. Um, it's it's almost you know you look it's. Looking at your opening hand for your food, you know, basically, if your opening hand's really good, you can get Fogo. If it's really bad, you get McDonald's. Like, that's, <laughs> that's pr- pretty much how the grind works. Like, Magic's a lot of fun. It's a great game. It's a very, very hard game. And it's just great for anybody who wants to, like, stretch their head and their, you know, <laughs> their brain tells. But when you're playing for, like, thousands of dollars or your opening hand can mean the, ma- the difference between $1,000 and $10,000, it gets – a little less fun and a little more high stakes. It gets a little harder. So, you know, you're, you're like, oh, man, I got mana screwed. I had to mold a six or all these things. And, like, meanwhile, to me, it's like, well, if that happens to me, I might not be able to eat tomorrow, you know? It's like, <laughs> so it's everything gets more high stakes, and you get used to playing for a lot of money. So, like, I, you know, split less top eights. I, I don't split in the finals as often of, you know, events. Like, you know, even FNMs and everything. I play them out to the end. Whereas before I used to split, you know, just be happy with what I got and, you know, just play it out for fun. But now it's like because of the high stakes, I, I've already lost matches for $5,000. I've already lost matches for, for four or five pro points. So 
after playing at high stakes like that, you have you really open your eyes and changes it about the game. So every weekend, I can't afford to like, you know, to play around and joke around with these decks. I have to, you know, pick, all serious face, pick up a deck that's going to win me money, that's going to let me eat tomorrow, that's going to let me travel to the next event. So it's always a, it's a constant stress to make sure. Well, should I play this twenty seventh land in my Cowboy deck, or is twenty six enough? And I won't just think about it for five minutes. I'll have to like sit there and contemplate and really think about like how many lands I want and exactly what spells I want, what my sideboard's going to be. And I have to think about all these things because it's like I'm depending on it. It's not like, oh, well, get them next time. It's like if I go on a cold enough streak, it'll be over. Right. You know, the life, your life of a grinder will be short if you, don't, <laughs> if you don't keep putting up results. So in order to keep putting up results, I have to make sure I'm trying to play optimal lists trying to get deck lists from people, trying to give deck lists to people. I give out a lot of deck lists. I give a lot of advice. I give sideboard guides. I tell a lot of people what to play because then through them, if there's five people in the tournament playing my deck list, for the next six that are coming up, I can also look at those results. I'm like, well, I gave this deck list to five people and three of them top-aided, so this deck list is probably pretty good. Let me focus on this for the next tournament. Because most people, when they're done with the tournament, they just go back home. And for me, I just have to go to the next one. So... It, it, and I guess it, it helps you get a lot more uh, statistics, too, that, like, you know, you can't yeah. play five times in a tournament, but if you give five people your deck, then mm-hmm. you get a much better idea of how that deck how that deck performs, Yep. you know, and, uh, how it... Exactly, no, exactly, that's exactly it. Like, you have to, um, I don't really have the time to, like, again, for te- and for testing purposes, like, a lot of people have testing, 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 you have to do, like, the the correct testing, like, you have to play in a tournament. If it's an FNM with a bunch of scrubs, that's better than playing random test games against, you know, a pro player on the couch because like you're you're get you get lazy and you get sloppy and you get bad habits when you're playing when you're testing. If you're not playing for twenty dollars a game, if you're playing for twenty dollars a game, you're gonna be playing a little tighter. So I there's a different type of magic when you're playing for ten dollars or when you're playing magic for a thousand dollars. It's just a different game. You so when you're te- when I'm testing it's usually better to test, you know, like for $5 a game or for, you know, $5 a match or $1 a match or any, any kind of stakes at all just to make both players focus and try to play their game. Whereas if people get te- lazy in testing, they don't – they mulligan to seven. They just, you know, yeah, sideboard. I, I, you know how, this, how testing goes. Oh, man, so, so much. Like, yeah. I, I've been trying to t- – I've been actually harping on uh, Travis about that yeah. uh, because Travis, Travis uh, tests very, very loose. You know what I mean? And, and – and, and I, and I always say, you know, I'm like, like, you just gotta, you know, you just gotta, um, just play tight. You know, you gotta think you're in a tournament, you know, and I agree with you, you know, playing in a tournament's the best way. He's, you know, like a lot of times when I'm, when I'm talking to Travis, he's like, I'm, I'm going to go to this tournament, but I don't really know. I haven't really tested against 12 post and blah. I'm like, well then go play in the tournament and play against it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm like, that's the best place to, to figure out if you can if you can beat 12 post or if you have the board for it, you know, like, exactly. like if you want like test, you know, if you, if you scrub out of the standard open and you want to play in the legacy open the next day, don't go back to the room, get some sleep and, you know, a couple of test games, go do the legacy challenge, enter an event, pay, pay money, enter an event and, you know, and try and win the prize. And they, right. That kind of mentality, the more of those you do, the more stakes it doesn't have to be for a thousand dollars just to be for, Five dollars, ten dollars for a fifty dollars store credit. Anything you just have to play magic for stakes in order to be able to deal with the upswings. It's very much like poker. You know, it's <laughs> when you lose. You know, you, you have to. It's more of a learning experience. You you're learning as you're as you're winning and as you're losing. And if you don't have that open mentality about it, you you won't last as a grinder. Right, and that, and, that, and that we were actually. It just reminded me that you know. You and I basically talked Travis into playing in the Legacy uh, yeah. Open because he didn't want to. He's like, I've never really played in a, in a tournament that big before. It's like, well, this is yeah. how you do it. You have to show up and do it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you have to show up, pay the admission, register your deck, and play. Yeah, you, you know, go two, two, four, four, two, whatever you want. Top eight, last place, whatever it is. You just have to get used to playing for those stakes. And man, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget, like you know, losing a thousand dollars for a card flip. You know. Top deck splinter went off the top. You're dead. Oh well, there goes my top eight. There goes my. There goes <laughs> some ridiculous number of m- amount of money with a z- with a comma in it. You know, there's like. <laughs> so you know, um, you got to deal with like the the swings because the swings are very can tilt you really hard and um, and I feel like this year coming up with all these grand prix in the U.S. and you know all these Star City Games opens, TCG Player open, uh, you know events. 
with so much more magic than there ever has been, there are going to be people who are grinding. They're going to be like, you know, the degenerate magic players who aren't in school, who aren't, uh, you know, don't have a full-time job or whatever, and they're going to want to be grinding every weekend, event to event. And the the best thing I could say to anybody who's aspiring to do that is um, you just have to, like, be a fast learner. Listen to people more than you listen. You just really have to listen a lot. Um, learn from your mistakes. Um, and you just have to basically get over it, like, I, I remember. I remember most of my losses. You know, many players remember like their worst losses and how they lost, like to a punt or something like that. And those are the kind of things that'll keep you going the next time. You're just like, never. Like if you make one mistake, don't make that mistake again. Pretty much. Right, and then that's the and that's the only that's the only place where it can really hit home. Exactly. Yeah. The, the mistake you made, like you can make that mistake ten times, mm. you know, at the at the kitchen table. Yeah. And it's and it's not going to stick with you. But yeah. like when the you're first sitting time there, you lose money. You, the first time you lose a hundred dollars because of it, that's going to be you're not going to make that mistake anymore. Right. I can't think if I can't think if Joey because Joey almost day twoed GPDC. He was <laughs> like he wound up sit. He was six two going into the last round and. Just and I don't know how he lost, but he lost. You know, I can't remember if he played Ben Hayes that round. I think he was six one, and then played Ben Hayes, went to six two, played someone else, went to six three, and was done. You know, yep. but like I'm sure there were things that he learned there. Mm-hmm. You know, there has to be something that yeah. he can get take from that. You know what I mean? Always like something from every game. Yep. Even like you how, how poorly you play before you win. People get sloppy before they win a game. Like people will, will misconsecrate some sugars, anything like that. You know and. Then they might lose an unlo- a seemingly unlosable game, you know, because they get sloppy. And the first time you lose a match because you got sloppy when you were ahead, it should should probably be the last time. Right. Um, and what better place when there's you know something on the line? Exactly. You know. Um, so you know, moving away from from that, just uh, real quick, um, you know, you've come into a lot of success in the last couple of weeks. You know, yeah. like you, you you know you were grinding it out. You you were, you were placing. You were doing all right. Um, but in the last couple of weeks, um, you know, you played in TCG players, uh, 75k, yeah. um, which from, I haven't heard the whole story, but from what I heard was a logistical nightmare for them. And, uh, it's glad, <laughs> I'm glad to see that they like pulled it off yeah, and likewise. that people got paid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like it's a really good thing to see. Yeah. Um, I was pretty, I was pretty happy about that. There were a lot of rumors about that, you know, <laughs> not firing, not getting off, but they, they did what they needed to do and they got... They got that. They stay true to their word and gave out all the money they promised. Yeah, and uh, and I'm sure I'm sure with with everything that happened, they probably lost some money on that tournament. Um, oh, well, yeah. Uh, but but you went ahead and uh, top eighted that, right? You top fourd, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I got third place in that event. And uh, and that was good for six grand. Uh, five grand, but then I got a, a one a one grand from Todd. The lose the loser of our match would get one grand. Right on. So, so that's thousand off of that. That's pretty awesome, you know. So, uh, that's a pretty awesome um, number. Yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> that round was crazy. And like, even there in the top four, playing against Todd, like the winner of us would go would be guaranteed ten thousand dollars because there were no splits. And okay. um, the winner of the whole tournament was was getting twenty thousand. So, um, you know, like you're, you're playing a Callblade mirror match on camera for a lot of money. And if you're not used to playing at those stakes, people will just crumble. I've had people playing against me round four of an open and, like, almost trembling or, like, very scared and nervous to play, you know? And it's just, like, anybody can win. It's a There's a lot of variance in the game. There's a lot of skill. But, you know, you, you can't really come into it intimidated like that. That already puts you at a disadvantage. It's, like, worse than a mole of the six is your mindset. <laughs> Absolutely. If you think you're going to lose... You've already lost. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that's what I always tell Travis. Like uh, again, going back to the playtesting thing. Like he's yeah. like, well, I got. He's like, I got to keep this, or he's going to mold to a second six. I'm like, dude, go to five. He's like, he's like, but like, there's no point testing to go into five. I'm like, no, there's every point. Like you're going to have to go to five at some point. You know what I mean? And like, and if you go into, if you have to mold to five and you shuffle that deck and you're already thinking you lost, you've already lost. You know? Exactly, like yeah. very true. Like I love, I love testing moles to four. You know what I mean? Like I'll yeah. test like crazy stuff like that because it just it's good practice. I I feel you know it's just good practice yeah, to yeah. know you know, like test games of mole to five when you have to actually multiply in the tournament you're going to be shaking and feeling you're going to lose that game already. And, and you don't know what a what a good five is. You know what I mean? Like you won't know sure. what a good five is uh, for your deck. Like can your deck 
can your deck play off of this five? You know, can your deck, yeah. you know, is or is your deck just going to do nothing with this one? You know, so it's just I don't know. I, I've I've always felt like that's something really important to to see. You know, yeah, maybe not to sure. like sit there and constantly test with your deck at five, but like but, you know, when you got to take that five, take it. You know, and it's like yeah. the like the the least the least pressure. Mm-hmm. To take that five or to take that four is when you're just sitting at the kitchen table playtesting, you know? Yeah. When it comes down to it, like, you don't want to be testing that in those high stakes because it's just that much more pressure on you, especially if you already think you're going to lose because you've gone to five, you know? Yeah, it's all about the comfort zone, and you got to, you know, get used to your comfort zone or get used to – yeah, they just basically get used to all of it. You know, like the first – like the last – few months have been easier than the first few months were, you know, because you get used to those kind of things. You get used to, oh, well, here I am playing for top eight, mulling to six on the draw. Here I am. Um, my opponent just nut-drawed me game one and beat me on turn two. You know, like, nothing I could have done about that. So you have to get used to those kind of things happening, or you're just going to sit there, and you're going to let your, you know, mental game take you over. And if you have a poor mental game, you will, you're not going to be long for it. Um, one of the things that, you know, Edgar Flores worked on immediately um, as soon as he started, you know, grinding was that his mental game. I remember when he first started, when he first started going to the opens, he would like lose a round and like go on such tilt about it and like, you know, think about it so much that it would affect his play in the next round and he'd be out of the tournament one or two rounds later. Right. But like now he's like, he, he's doing really well. Like he loses round one or loses round two or something like that, or starts off, you know, two, one or, you know, and he just grinds it out and keeps going and doesn't let that play affect him, you know? That's really, you know, Sorry. good. Like that quick learning is what's gonna what's gonna keep you around. You have to um, really losses behind you, but at the same time, but at the same time, do it in a way that you learn something from it. So. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's good. And I think you know more people sh- should work on that. You know, should work on adapting that sort of mindset. It's not over until you look at it and it's statistically over. It's or... true. Like this weekend in 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 Boston, I uh, I went like I had like a terrible record day one again. Um, in the standard. And then for legacy, I started off one, one, I lost round two and, um, it was a really close match against reanimator. And I just, you know, lost to a top deck to zoom on the last turn. And it was really close and I lost and I was one, one in a nine round tournament. And <laughs> I was like, Oh, well this weekend looking, not looking so good so far, but then I, you know, won one round at a time, two, one, three, one, four, one, five, one, and just went up and I just won the whole tournament from there. And, um, it's that kind of mental game that'll keep people like Jerry Thompson, Edgar Flores, you know, anybody with, you know, gets losses early or draws early, you know, can just keep battling and stay alive, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I guess, uh, let's, let's wrap up. Um, in, in closing, like, is there anything, any advice you want to give people um, that you haven't given already? Anything that, like, people should know, like, in terms of, like, you know, being out in the grind, like, What's, you know, what's the secret? <laughs> what's the secret to eternal life, Alex? Is it 42 or <laughs> is it something else? Basically figure out what uh, what you're comfortable with. Like um, if, if testing a lot against friends at a kitchen table is something that helps you get used to your deck or something like that, then do that. If um, testing gets you wears you out and doesn't, you know, and you don't want to play your deck anymore, then don't do it. Do something else. If sleeping extra at night before a tournament helps you, do that. Like just do whatever it is that you that helps you do it, and it'll take quite a few tournaments before we figure out exactly what works for you. So, you know, if eating breakfast helps you play better, then do that. If not eating breakfast helps you play, then don't. Just as long as you get in your comfort zone, and then you can just keep grinding tournaments every weekend like it's a job. It's exactly like waking up for work and, you know, another day at the office. So for any uh, uh, aspiring grinders out there, that's what I would keep in mind, is just to try and look at each tournament like a learning experience until you know exactly what uh, you're comfortable with doing. So... What are you comfortable with doing? Um, like, what's your, what's your, what's your, you know, ideal? And what, what, do you have like a routine? Like, what do you do in the morning when you get up for a tournament? Like, do you have anything specific? Like, do you like to eat breakfast? You know what I mean? I'm not saying that like everyone's gonna have to start copying off of you. I'm just curious. Sure, yeah. You know, like me personally, I, I don't. I uh, usually drink, try and drink like juice. Like maybe like if I, if everyone's going to McDonald's, you know, before a tournament, I'll just get like a juice or a smoothie or something like that, or like drink some some cold water, anything like that. Um, I don't like to. I don't it, the sleep. I don't really need that much sleep. I can do it on a couple of hours. Um, I don't test the night before. I don't play any games. Don't tr- practice any opening hands. Don't do anything like that. I just you know get up and you know you you. I'm already so used to playing my decks because I'm grinding them all the time that 
I should already know how to handle that. And anything the night before can leave, leave you second guessing. Right. Stuff like that. So for me personally, that's what happens. When I get to the event, um, I try and stay busy before the event starts so I don't get nervous. You know, I try and lend cards out to people, try to walk around, see what people are playing, talk with everyone until, you know, they announce round one pairings. And then you put your game face on and just focus. And uh, uh, don't look at each round like, oh, I only have to win six more at a top eight. You look at each round in the present, pretend it's your winning in. Pretend round one is your winning round for top eight. Pretend you, if you lost round, pretend you didn't lose last round. Just pretend your next round's winning, and just pretend each round is like any other. And um, and that's that's one of my keys to success is just the mindset. Upcoming events this weekend, we have uh, the Grand Prix Pittsburgh, which will be in uh, Pittsburgh, hopefully, or else I'm going to have a lot of complications here finding a place to stay in Pittsburgh. Yeah, we've uh, had those pro- We've all had those problems before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what was it? The last Boston Open, anyone? Uh, <laughs> what was that? In, like, Foxborough or something? It was in some sort of borough oh, that was. Yeah, Boxborough. Boxborough. Yep. <laughs> oh, is that where that one was, too? Yeah, yeah I was just like, come on, really? They're never in Boston. That was annoying. But anyway. Uh, so that'll be coming up. Uh, I shall hopefully be there if I get someone to agree to let me stay with them. And uh, Alex will be there and... We'll all be grinding it out, trying to play some standard and and win some money and win some s- slots on the pl- the pro tour. That'd um, be sweet. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be a a, a coup if I if I've ever heard of one. <laughs> it's like Big Head Joe's on the pro tour, so we're going to cancel the pro tour. <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> make sure there's no coverage of him at all. <laughs> so, no, but uh, so that'll be fun. Um, and then September 11th or 10th and 11th is the uh, SCG Open in Atlanta, um, which will be covered by Gavin Verhey and Ryan Kibler. Which I swear we didn't have to go look up and spend two minutes and then re-edit this. Uh, <laughs> we promise. So, yeah. Um, oh, I guess one more thing. One more thing that I want to squeeze in here because yep. total self, shameless self promotion. Um, a couple weeks ago. I guess about a month ago, me and my buddy Dave entered the 29 Days Later film competition. Uh, okay. It's a Baltimore thing um, done by the Creative Alliance in Baltimore, uh, okay. where you have 29 days to put a short movie, a short film between four and nine minutes together, um, and then they show them all and they pick winners. Okay. And I just wanted to say that we won. So sweet, that's awesome. Good job. Yeah. Um, actually, I can throw you the link real quick on Facebook. Um, but we won, and um, it was really exciting. And uh, if that's you great. want, I'm, I'm going to link the uh, the video in the show notes, uh, so you can all check it out on YouTube. And I'm going to try to link it to uh, to Alex right now. Um, but yeah, so so check it out. Uh, I'm really excited about it, and if you like it. Uh, share it with your friends on Twitter or Facebook because we're really trying to spread the word. Uh, we're trying to get some funding, you know, for some stuff. And uh, fair enough, yeah. Check out, check that out, guys. So that's all we have for this week. We are Yo MTG Taps. Stop bitching, start brewing. Hell's yeah. <laughs> <laughs>